I turn your attention this morning to Isaiah chapter 13. I'd like to read verses 7 and 8 in your hearing. We continue in our series that we started the first of the year, Free from Fear. We talked about this year being the year of being set free in 23. And we started out by dealing with the subject of fear. We're going to continue uh, in that same vein this morning. Free from fear. Isaiah 13, 7, Therefore shall all hands be faint. Or therefore shall all hands be faint. And every man's heart shall melt. And they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Their faces shall be as flames. I'd like to speak this morning on this subject, the face of a flame. The face of a flame. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. Some of you will remember, I guess it's been a little more than 20 years ago, the object of fear for many Americans and indeed many other nations, certainly the people in the country, was an individual that was named Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein entered the world unwanted as the illegitimate son of a peasant woman from a tribe of thugs. His father and 12-year-old brother died shortly before he was born, sending his mother into depression. She tried to abort her baby and commit suicide, but was unsuccessful. Shortly after her baby, Saddam Hussein was born in 1937. His mother rejected him. He was sent to live with an uncle for three years. And after his mother married another thug by the name of Hassan the Liar, you, you know you're a thug when your nickname has the liar on the back end of it. Saddam returned to live in a house where his stepfather was very, very abusive. He took his anger out on animals and other small children. And after returning to live with his uncle at the age of nine, Saddam was expelled from school at the age of 11. And things just began to spiral out of control at a very young age. He was trained uh, to be a chicken thief, a street mugger. Uh, soon his uncle began to train him through ever-increasing violence uh, to be an assassin, an interrogator, and a strong-arm man for the fledgling Ba'ath Party in Iraq. In adulthood, Saddam moved into the highest levels of government by mount-maneuvering or purging rivals and enemies, and the killings and the atrocities are, are too great even for me to mention uh, here this morning in a service where our children have joined us. Suffice it all to say that this man uh, wrecked havoc and fear and terror, uh, not only in those people that were around him, not only his, uh, his own staff, uh, his own country, but uh, literally uh, hundreds of thousands of people uh, were uh, eliminated at the hands of this man. I think it would be easy to say, that this was a person who was eaten up with hatred. Uh, his darker deeds included mass murder with chemical weapons, public torture, hangings, the list goes on and on and on, even family members. In his book, Saddam's Bomb Maker, nuclear physicist Kadhir Hamza, who was a Florida State University doctoral graduate in nuclear engineering, he led Iraq's nuclear bomb program before defecting to the United States in 1992. He said in his book, and I quote, I have lived in the U.S. for 11 years now, and I can't get the fear out of my mind. 
He added, I wake up in the middle of the night. I see his face. I have those dreams. I can't sleep. There are no telling how many people in Iraq and other countries have had those dreams. They say the darkness in his eyes was something that would just permeate any other individual that he looked at. The faces of fear, no doubt, lined the streets of that country and other countries. And even though we can all say today that Saddam Hussein is not a threat anymore, we cannot say that about fear itself. Fear is still our next door neighbor. Fear is perpetuated by hate. Fear is the impetus of many atrocities in our world. And the only way you can get rid of a world of hatred is to rid the world of fear. But there's only one that can rid an individual's heart of fear, and it is Jesus Christ. I said it is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is still the answer for what this world needs. If hate is the flame, then fear is the face of the flame. If hate is the flame, then fear is the face of the flame. Saul wanted to kill David because he was afraid of him. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 11. And Saul cast the javelin for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. The hatred that King Saul had for David was because of his fear of David. Why did King Saul, with the army at his disposal, why did he fear David? Well, it was because the Bible says the Lord was with him. And because the Lord was with him, Saul was afraid of him. Oh, my friend, you can never take it personal when you feel like you're being mistreated on the job or in a school because of your Christianity. You don't realize it, but people know the hand of God is upon your life. They know the blessing of God is upon your life. And they fear you. They fear you, and that fear can many times turn to hatred or at least dislike. And they want you to go to their parties. They want you to sin and do the crazy things they're doing because it would be less of a threat to them if you just joined the masses. But I thank God for men and women that stand for righteousness. You're doing more than just trying to get to heaven. You are putting love into the hearts and into the hands of those that are around you. And you are causing a civilization to be lifted to a higher level. The Bible goes on to say in verse 13, Therefore Saul removed him and made him captain over a thousand, went out and came in before the people. David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. He was afraid of him. And that fear metastasizes into hatred. So Saul decides he's got to do something. He's got to eliminate David. Then he thought it would be a better strategy not to do it himself because David was popular with the people. So he says, I'll give him my daughter uh, to be his wife and I'll use that to be a snare to him. And then I'm going to require, if he wants to marry my daughter, then he's got to kill a, a hundred Philistines. He figured that would take him out. So he said, if you kill a hundred Philistines, because David said, I, I, I have no right to be your son-in-law. I'm, I'm just a, you know, a boy from the tribe of Benjamin. I have no... Uh, you know, 
right to be in the royal family and, and I'm not deserving of that. David was very humble, but Saul said, well, you don't have to pay any money. You don't have to have a dowry. You know what? Just go and kill a hundred Philistines and bring them back to me. And so this is what he endeavored to do was to kill a hundred Philistines. But here's how God works. David didn't kill a hundred Philistines. He killed 200 Philistines. He was an overachiever because God was with him. Oh, hallelujah. Uh, I mean, Saul thought this would be the end of David. How can one man stand up against a hundred people? Well, David had men with him and they went out and killed 200 Philistines and brought them all back. And Saul didn't know what to do with it. And so once again, his fear, it increased. And when his fear increased, his hatred increased. And so we see this thing sort of growing and metastasizing. But oh, my friend, it's not just limited to stories in the Bible. We live in a world where fear and hatred are running together as close cousins. uh, And it is affecting everything around us. It is affecting civilizations. uh, It's affecting humanity. It's affecting the civility of men uh, and others uh, to be able to interact with each other. I come back today to this principle that I've been preaching for a few weeks now. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. The question is, how is Jesus the answer? This is what I want to impact and try to explain today in the few minutes that I have with you. The fear that Saul had for David turned into full-blown hate, but it's been said that fear stands for false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. And certainly... It can happen that way. There can be false evidence and it appears to be real and we react to it. And certainly there are fears that are unfounded. There are phobias that are unfounded. There's a lot of fear that is not logical. But I don't think that's all fear. Not all fear is unfounded. There is some legitimate fear. People in the country of Iraq that were afraid of Saddam Hussein, they had a right to be afraid of him. He was a crazy man. He was a maniac. I think he was demon-possessed because demonic powers want to destroy humanity. They want to destroy the flesh. That's why all of this stuff where people are hating themselves and cutting themselves and all of this stuff, that's all demonic because the enemy wants to destroy you. I hope you understand this morning that you have an enemy that's trying to destroy not only your soul, he wants to destroy your body. He wants to destroy your mind. He wants to destroy your spirit. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Oh, hallelujah. I said greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And even though there is some fear that is... Uh, very rightfully founded on uh, legitimate evidence, what it produces can be distorted. I said what it produces can be distorted. We've already established that the enemy of your soul traffics in fear. But he's also the master deceiver. I said he's the master deceiver. He disguises his weapons of mass destruction. He'll hide the hook under the bait. You can look at something and think it's beautiful. You can look at something and think it's wonderful. But I'm here to tell you, there's harm just beneath it. There's hurt just beneath it. There's hatred just beneath it. The enemy 
does not care about you. He doesn't think you look nice. He doesn't care about who your mommy and daddy was. He don't care about your job, your bank account. He's got one mission, and that's to destroy a man, woman, boy, or girl that decides to live a righteous life, that decides to live according to biblical principles. He's got one determination, and that is to destroy you. The Bible says that. He's a thief. He he cometh to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's his mission. So don't somehow think that the devil cares about you or that this world cares about you or that somehow you're going to have better friends if you'll leave the church. You're not ever going to have better friends than who you have brothers and sisters that's got the perfect love of God in their heart and they're willing to hold hands with you when you go through trials and you go through dark places and you go through the valley of the shadow of death. I thank God for brothers and sisters that said you don't have to suffer in silence and you don't have to suffer alone. We're here with you. We're going to go through it with you. I thank God for what the Lord has done bringing us together as the people of God. But the enemy traffics in fear and he traffics in deception. And this is illustrated by the description that we read in Isaiah about the face of a flame. Have you ever watched a fire? There's no doubt that the fire can hurt you, it can destroy you, it can burn your skin. But it can also provide warmth. It can also make you feel cozy and calm. And if you watch the, the flame of a fire that's in a fireplace or it's in a contained environment, it can almost be mesmerizing. I mean, the face of the flame dances around and creates images and pictures and, and it, it, it can be, uh, relaxing. It, it's amazing. Even here in Florida where we, we don't have many days of cold, but I remember in our old church, when we built the fellowship hall down on the east end of Palm Bay Road, we put a fireplace in the fellowship hall because we wanted the atmosphere of a fireplace. So we'd have our Christmas banquets, we'd turn on the fireplace because we wanted the atmosphere of it. The only problem was it was 80 degrees outside. So, so we'd have to turn on the air condition at the same time we turned on the fireplace. We let them fight it out. Hopefully we get a comfortable environment. We wanted the ambience of the fire, but we didn't need the heat of the fire. And, and we understand that fire sometimes can create that atmosphere because it's contained, it's confined, it, it's providing warmth. But it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much for the nature of that fire to come out. I, I remember uh, last year my sons and I were hunting out in, in um, West uh, Texas out there in the panhandle, what they call the Dust Bowl. And uh, Gregory was in a deer stand. I was in a different deer stand. Luke was in a different deer stand. Luke's deer stand wasn't too far from mine. And sometime over toward uh, the later afternoon, I heard a shot. And it was close. I, I, I'm always positive it was from Luke's uh, deer stand. And then I heard another shot. Uh, so I texted him and I said, did you shoot? And he said, yes. And then I texted him and I said, did you get him? Nothing. You shot twice? Nothing. Is he down? Nothing. Can you see him? Nothing. Are you okay? Nothing. I mean, I'm texting, texting, texting. There's no reply. Did you get out of your stand to track him? Don't do that. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Finally, I keep texting and he texts back and said, I kind of had a situation. 
I'm like, what kind of a situation? Well, it, it, it was cold out there in Texas, and they would give us these little portable heaters to take with us to our deer stand. And when in the middle of the day, it wasn't needed, but as it got toward the late afternoon, it would start to get cold, and you're just sitting. You're not really generating any heat, so we would turn on those little propane heaters, and they made our deer stand nice and warm and cozy as we waited for the bucks to come in. Well, he begins to explain by texting me that he had turned his heater on, and when he shot the buck, he had turned into the heater with his jacket and his all of his hunting clothes. And he said, I shot it, and it kept running. I shot it again. And then he said, my deer stand started to fill up with smoke. I thought something was wrong with my rifle, he said. But when I turned around, my whole jacket was on fire. <laughs> so he said, I just fell out of the back of the deer stand and rolled around and around on the ground. I said, are you okay? He said, I'm okay, but my jacket's not. Mom's not going to be happy because I got a big hole in the side of my hunting jacket. I said, I don't care about the jacket. We'll get another jacket. Long as you're all right. I mean, it doesn't take much for the comfort of a flame to became, to become a destructive fire. Because just beneath the warmth, just beneath all the mesmerizing images, there is this destructive nature. Oh, I feel like I'm preaching to somebody right now. Don't take sin up into your home, up into your mind, up into your family. I'm going to tell you what, you can take a snake and you can try to make it your pet and you can put it up in your hands and, and you can call it little sweet names and pet it. But that thing is still a snake. And if it gets a chance, it's going to try to take you out. That's what people do with sin. They bring sin up in their home through entertainment. They bring sin up in their home through television, through movies, and through cell phones, and through music. And they bring all that stuff. And they think, oh, this is a, it makes me laugh. It's funny. It's a sitcom. It has a destructive nature behind it. It's just the face of a flame that you're enjoying. But don't fall asleep. There's a destructive nature to that fire. If it gets a chance, it'll destroy your kids. It'll destroy your marriage. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. You've got to realize what it is. And although the face of that flame can be something that mesmerizes us or we can get so in, in, in just uh, enthralled with it all, it has destruction at its core. The only way to reverse the curse is to attack the core. The only way to deal with hatred in this world is to attack it at its core. And its core is fear. 1 John 4.18 says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. That's what the Bible says. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. He's saying the love of God is something that flows not just from God to man, but when you get a revelation of the perfect love of God, it has to flow out of you to your fellow man. So if fear causes us to, 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 to metastasize into hatred, and then that hatred is affected by the way we treat each other, think about how God reverses this whole process. And I'm going to tell you something right now. 
the enemy traffics in fear and in hatred. I said the enemy traffics in fear and hatred. But the love of God, Christianity is the antithesis of that. Oh, my friend, when you get into the perfect love of God, you'll find that it's the love of God that can change a man from the inside out. It's the love of God that can deal with the fear and cause us to be able to love our fellow man and to reach out and say, hey, what can I do to help you? What can I do to serve my fellow man? You don't just get there on your own with your flesh having its own way. You've got to get down to where you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and receive his love. The reason we can't love our neighbor as ourselves is because we don't love ourselves. And the reason we don't love ourselves is because we have not accepted the perfect love of God. You've got to, first of all, accept the perfect love of God. He loves you. I know you've made mistakes. We've all made mistakes. But He loves you. And you've got to receive that the Lord loves me. Even if people have treated me bad, God loves me. Oh, even if people have disappointed you, God loves you. Did you hear what I'm telling you? God loves you. Because if you can accept his love, you can love him back. And if you can begin to love him back, you can begin to show love to your fellow man. And the world would be a lot better place if we would realize that there's a God that has in his desire to bring us into his presence. A spirit of reconciliation and love. Because the Bible said perfect love casteth out fear. That's the first principle that we can extract from those verses I read. Perfect love casteth out fear. And the second principle that we know from these verses is that perfect love originates from God but can be distributed by man. Woo! Hallelujah! I said perfect love originates from God but it can be distributed by man. This is why churches are the answer to any civilization and society. You get a bunch of men and women together that's going to love God and say, my cru- my flesh is crucified. I'm going to go ahead and put my flesh, my crucified flesh on the altar. And I'm going to say, it's not about me. It's about lifting up the name of Jesus. So even if man hurts me, I'm not going to return fear for fear. I'm not going to return hate for hate. I'm going to say, bless the Lord, oh my soul, because i got a God that loved me when I did not deserve to be loved. But he loved me anyhow. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. This is what David had to learn. Sure, he had a lot of people hating him, but he had a God that was faithful to him. Psalms 31, 14. I want to read a few verses to you. If you got your Bibles, if not, they'll put it on the screen. But I want to I want to read these verses because this is the formula. A lot of people say, okay, if it's perfect love that casteth out fear. How do we get perfect love? How does this process work? And the psalmist lays out a formula for us in these verses. Verse 14, but I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. O how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. 
Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he hath showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. Fear is a strong city. It is a prison that holds people captive in. But David said, he has showed me kindness in this strong city. For I said in my haste, I'm cut off from before thine eyes. He said, I didn't really understand it. I was just responding to the face of the flame. I didn't really understand what all was going on. I was just reacting in my flesh. And I said in my haste, I'm cut off before thine eyes. God doesn't care about me anymore. If he did, I wouldn't be chased by all these crazy people. I wouldn't be running for my life. What have I ever done? All I've tried to do is lift up the name of the Lord in this country. All I've tried to do, I defeated Goliath. I did it because I wanted God to be glorified. I mean, he could have felt sorry for himself. He could have justified those feelings in his flesh. But he had to change his perspective. He said, I said in my haste, I'm cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, even though I reacted wrong, even though I reacted in my flesh, Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. Oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints. Now he turns and says, hey, this is not just for me, this is for you too. Love the Lord, all ye his saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. All ye that hope in the Lord. You know what David is saying in these verses? He's saying you got to turn your fear into faith. That's how you perfect your love for God. How do you do that? What's the first thing that he said in verse 14? Trust in him. I'm going to decide that I'm going to trust in the Lord. He said, but I trusted in thee, O Lord. I have said thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me. From the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me, make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Oh, I love that. You notice the symmetry of that? The face of a flame is the way that fear metastasizes into hatred. It's the works of the enemy. But David said, oh, I've learned not to look at the face of a flame and toward those that hate me. Oh no, I found a God that would shine His face of love upon His servant. I'm not going to look at the face of a flame and get mesmerized by a world that is living in idolatry and in iniquity. I want the love of God to shine from His face. you got to trade the face of a flame for the face of a loving God. When you move from fear to faith, you move from the face of a flame to the face of God that shines upon you. A few weeks ago, we talked about how David shifted his fear from what he could not control to what he could control. And that's what happens for all of us. We fear things that we can't control. We fear of dying. We fear that one day we're going to wake up and and, and have cancer. We fear that our children are going to run off. We fear that Our spouse is being unfaithful. We fear all these things uh, that are out of our control. But David said, I'm going to fear what I can control. I'm going to fear the Lord. Instead of fearing his enemies, he said, I'm going to fear the Lord. You know how you do that? You got to trust him. 
Lord, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what's going to happen on my job. I don't know what my boss is going to do. I don't know what my spouse, my children, my health. I don't. Here's what I do know. God's got me in the palm of his hand. This is what David was saying. He's prepared a pavilion for me. He's going to hide me. He's going to keep me. Oh, my friend, I know there's a lot of things that's beyond your control. But there's a God that loves you. And you got to say, God's got me. God's got me. I trust in Him. You may not trust people, but I trust in Jesus. He's never failed me, not one time. He started to fear the Lord. If you'll start to fear the Lord, your fear will turn to faith. I'm going to fear the Lord. I'm going to reverence the Lord. That's the second thing. Trust in the Lord. That's what he says. That's the first step. We're talking about how to perfect love so that fear can evaporate out of our lives. Number one, trust in the Lord. Don't just say, I trust in him. Live your life that you trust in him. And secondly, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Reverence Him. You remember how that we talked about just a few minutes ago that, that fear is the inception of hate? When you begin to fear the Lord, that principle is still true, even though the application of it can be flipped. The principle is true. When you begin to fear the Lord or reverence the Lord, you will begin to hate sin and unrighteousness. I was studying this this thought this week and the Lord just put in my heart, this is where the church is right now in the 21st century. We do not hate the world. We love God and we try to share that love of God with the love of the world. You can't love both. You either love God or you love the world. You can't do one and the other because they're opposites. And you can't love God and love the world. If you're going to really perfect your love for God, you got to perfect your hatred for sin. And you say, oh, pastor, I thought we weren't supposed to hate. Well, guess what? God hates. See, we've been so affected by our culture, we've read the back of helmets on NFL players so long that say stop hatred. We think that hate is just a four-letter word. Well, guess what? If you start to hate the wrong thing, you can start to love the right thing. The enemy wants to distort all of that and let it just be a, a jumping around flame and you can't tell what's right or wrong. That's the definition of insanity. That becomes spiritual insanity when you don't know the difference between right and wrong. But if you say, I love God and because I love God and I love His Word, I hate everything else that takes His name in vain. I hate everything else that distorts His Word. You don't really love God if you love the world. This is why the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How is that the beginning of wisdom? Because wisdom is knowing what to hate and what to love. When you get perfect love, you get revelation on what you should abstain from. If I really love my wife or I'm wanting to perfect my love for my wife, I've got to hate some stuff. I've got to hate temptation that would try to divide my heart or, 
or cause the love for my wife to be mitigated. I, I wouldn't be able to say that I love my wife and then enjoy listening to people curse her or talk bad about her. I wouldn't really love her if I allowed people to harm her. How can you say you love the Lord and then you enjoy listening to people curse His name? You say, I don't enjoy that, but you don't flip the channel. You say, I don't love that, but you don't walk out of the movie theater. They have done everything to defame the church and ministry and any authority figure in this world. And you sit there and eat popcorn and claim that you love God. Oh, God is saying, I'm getting ready to come back for a church. And I'm coming back for a church that loves me, that's looking for my soon return. Come on, if you really love Him, you'll say, I hate everything that's against the nature of God. You can't give yourself to ungodly entertainment and then come into His presence and want to be wooed by His Spirit. If you're going to perfect love, you got to perfect hate. We don't hate people, but we hate sin because we love God. The reason that many people struggle with fear is because their love for God has not been perfected. Because their love for God is mitigated by their love for other things that are anti-God. And your love for God cannot be perfected until your hatred for sin is perfected. 1 John 2.15 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's what the Bible says. The love of the Father is not in him. You say, well, Pastor, why are you, are you coming against some of our, our little things that we enjoy just as an escape? Are you against having fun? No. I want you to be set free. I'm talking... I'm talking about people living in bondage to fear. You're living in bondage to fear. You don't even realize it. You don't even know. It's the face of a flame. This is something you can't medicate yourself out of. You can't take enough pills to medicate yourself out of it. It's only God that can give you peace. This past Friday night, Brother Joel Urshan, we were doing a conference up in, in uh, Jacksonville, and, and, and Brother Urshan, Joel Urshan, preached a, a message that he, he called the Order of Melchizedek a few months ago. We were on a trip together, and we were, we were talking about it, and he's been preaching all over the country. It's a powerful message. But he talks about the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a man in the Old Testament. Only three verses in Genesis talks about it. He was king of Salem, which became Jerusalem. And Abraham honored him, and he paid his tithes to him. And the Bible talks about the order of Melchizedek. And then it's referred to in one verse in Psalms, and then it's explained a little further in the book of Hebrews. But in the message, Brother Urshan explains that the order of Melchizedek was first righteousness and then peace. He said, people want peace, but they don't want righteousness. 
But Jesus came after the similitude of the order of Melchizedek. So in Jesus, we understand Jesus is the center point of our faith system, of what we believe in. It's Jesus Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is what causes us to be saved. And he came after the order of Melchizedek, which means what? It means that you don't get to peace until you go through righteousness. We live in a world that wants peace without righteousness. You can't have it. That's not the order. First peace, first righteousness, and then peace. And then the Bible says in the New Testament, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace. And then it doesn't stop there. And joy in the Holy Ghost. Because the Bible said in Genesis, the order of Melchizedek was without end. You know what that means? If you say, hey, I'm going to live a righteous life, God's not only going to give you peace, He's going to give you joy. Joy in the Holy Ghost. You say you're not afraid of what the world is doing? No. Why? I got righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, hallelujah. How can you rejoice when you got people that don't like you? People that are posting bad things about you on Facebook. Because it's not about me. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. How can ever, how can you love every moment of life when there's so much hurt and pain? Oh God is the one that can transform us from the inside out. He's the only one. And it's going to start with righteousness. It's going to start with saying, because I love God, I hate sin. And I hate anything that looks like sin. And so if we're going to be set free, it's going to be perfect love that casts out fear. David continues, trust in the Lord. Fear the Lord. And then he goes on. And he concludes by saying, the third thing that we have to do is hope in the Lord. This is the plan for how to perfect the love of God. So that you don't have to live in fear. And that fear metastasize into hate. He said, thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence. From the pride of man, thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has showed me his marvelous kindness. He goes on, and then he finally can't contain it anymore. He finally says in verse 23, Oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful, and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. All ye that hope in the Lord. That's the final clue. That's how you perfect your love of God. You put your hope in Him. I said you put your hope in Him. I don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. I don't either, but put your hope in the Lord. I don't know if my kids are coming back. I don't either, but put your hope in the Lord. I don't know if my spouse is being faithful. I don't either, but put your hope in the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? 
You got to put your hope in the Lord. You got to perfect your love of God. And then you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to wake up every day and wonder if you're going to be hurt. All you can do is say, Lord, I love you. You love me and I love you. And my hope is in you. You're a faithful God. You're going to make a way where there seems to be no way. Stand to your feet. I trust in him. I fear him. I'm going to put my hope in him. David had to learn to put his hope in God. Not in man. Not in relationships. Not in success. Not in possessions. My hope is in God. Oh, you say, but I'm afraid of the future. Put your hope in God. I said, put your hope in God. I'm afraid I'm going to miss the rapture. Put your hope in God. I said, put your hope in God. You won't have to fear the future. You don't have to live under the pain of your past. Put your hope in God. I trust in the Lord. I fear the Lord. And I hope in the Lord. Would you lift your hands all over this building? Would you lift your voice? Right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, the Lord's going to set you free this morning. God's going to set you free in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, let the Lord shine His love upon you. In the deep crevices of your heart and spirit. In those shadows that you try to disguise and hide even from those that are closest to you. Come on, the Lord's going to shine His love. Come on, let the Lord give you some kind of a spiritual heart surgery right now. Come on, He'll turn it inside out. He'll wash every scar with His Word, with His love. Oh, that's it. Just cry out wherever you are all over this building. Let the Lord touch you right now. Come on, he's walking up and down these aisles. He'll put his arms of love around you. He loves you. He loves you. speaking to some people right now you're dealing with fear anxiety uncertainty you came here this morning you've lived with it for so long you've just learned how to manage it God wants to set you free this morning I said he wants to set you free it was never the plan of God for his people to live in fear of tomorrow fear of whether or not they're going to pay a bill fear of whether or not they're going to lose their job no my friend I'm going to trust in the Lord he'll never fail me not one time I'm going to fear the Lord I'm going to reverence the Lord I'm going to praise the Lord I'm going to exalt the Lord and I'll put my hope in him if you're ready to put some things on the altar this morning why don't you step out from where you're standing and 
just come down to this area that we call the altar. This is a wide open area where you can just come. You can just stand down here in this altar. Just lift up your hands and say, Lord, I love you. I'm not just coming to say it. I'm going to show it with my life. I love you. I'm going to give you everything. I put it all on the altar. Every fear, every uncertainty. The enemy's tried to turn it into hatred. The enemy's tried to immobilize me with fear. But God has come through His love to set you free. Free to worship Him. Free to lift up your hands to Him. Free to lift up your voice to Him. He loves you. He loves you. I love you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. You're my hope. You're my strength. You're my soul. You're my joy. We hope in you, Lord. Oh, 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 oh,